the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news, and we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. You know, there's uh, things that you prepare for a lot coming up on a Sunday morning, and then there's things that the Holy Spirit just really convicts. And um, the idea of a reset button came to my mind as we were singing those songs. You know, a reset button is something where if it's um, if it's for a device or something like that, where you've got things programmed in, you hit reset, it doesn't clear off all the previous data. It really brings you back to how it's supposed to be when it's set up. And, and I felt like as Colin was leading us through that moment between the first and the second song, the idea of a reset button is, um, is just apparent for me. And maybe it is for you also, um, as we're kind of shifting from summer to fall, uh, Maybe it's time to just um, mentally and, and, and emotionally and spiritually hit the reset button in your life right now and just come back to the grounding of who you are as a child of God and um, what you can hold on to uh, in Jesus Christ as that firm, strong anchor. He is all the programming in, in the word of God. So I just want to lean into that and pray into that as we start today. Uh, Father, we come before you. And um, a lot of us are hurting, and a lot of us are uncertain. A lot of us are questioning. And so, God, I, I pray, and I, and I hope that others do too, that we can come to you right now and just intentionally hit the reset button of our lives and realize that you have a great plan for us that your Holy Spirit is within us for those here who are in Christ, who are believers in Jesus. Your Holy Spirit is in us and we have your truth, your word. So God, please guide us and allow us to come back to uh, center, back to your anchor, back to you, Jesus. We praise you and love you in your name. Amen. Uh, I'm Joe Seastat. Welcome if you're a guest here to Oak Point Church West Bloomfield. Uh, I'm a lead pastor here, and we've been a church that's been around for about three years. We, uh, we had a chance last weekend to get outside, and it was just an amazing time. We had an outdoor service, and uh, followed by uh, baptisms, and uh, one person accepted Jesus as Lord. It was just a great moment for our church to remember sort of how God started us off three years ago, uh, outdoor in the parks to begin with. And so if you missed it, um, we want to do that again. We are thinking October 1st, we're going to have another outdoor service and we're going to have baptisms again available. We think that there's uh, God maybe drawing people to salvation and those who are believers to be baptized. So join us for October 1st for another outdoor service and picnic. We'll pray that the weather is nice uh, that day. Uh, we're in a series uh, in the book of Acts, getting close to the end. In fact, that October 1st, if you want to circle it, is the uh, intended day to be done with this series. So we'll use it as sort of a uh, celebration as we've gone for 38 weeks now uh, in the book of Acts straight through. And, uh, and we'll use that to kind of conclude this book too. This book though, we in this series, we've titled Scrappy Church. And the reason is because we think of something that is scrappy. We think of people who are scrappy. These are people who um, are willing to do what it takes to, to follow and do the right thing, even when going gets tough, even when it's not all figured out, 
even when it's not like at a pretty bow on it. And the earliest Christians, they were a scrappy bunch. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They had a commission from Jesus to go make disciples. You know what they did? They went and made disciples, even though it wasn't all pretty with a bow tying it. Even though they, they lacked a lot of information about what exactly to do, they trusted so much in God to show them the way. And so we desire for Oak Point Church West Bloomfield for each of us to be a little scrappy in how we go about this Christian journey, knowing that we have things that we can know what to do. And there's a lot of things that we, um, we're going to trust God along the way. So today we're going to get into the 24th chapter out of 28 in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at the idea of thinking errors, of thinking errors that occur. We're going to see the life of one uh, prominent Roman official named Governor Felix and some of the thinking errors that he had. And he really missed a golden opportunity uh, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to start off with this claim, and it's this, is that kind of like what Colin was leading us through, asking tough questions about the Christian worldview is a worthwhile pursuit. I'll throw that out at you, and you might be like, whoa, we shouldn't question anything. No, like, actually, the, the validity of Christianity is such that you actually can question, and you will find that when you question the faith, that there is actual truth and actual answers to your questions. And I would submit to you that any worldview, any belief system out there that is worth its claims has to stand the test to questions, to questioning. And I'm a bit perplexed though, because when you think about Christianity being worthy of being uh, questioned, being able to be questioned, that's going to stand the test during questions. Then I look at the generation that's growing up right now, the young adults of our day. And what I'm seeing is that young adults are not just drinking the Kool-Aid from what their parents told them to, to be and do and, and think. This is a generation that is willing to question, that is willing to investigate, that is willing to not go with the flow. And yet, if Christianity is able to be questioned, then why are so few people in the younger generation becoming followers of Christ? In a recent 2023 report, by the Barna Group, it said that emergent followers of Christianity, which is um, defined as people who maybe don't believe in everything that the Bible says, but they at least believe in the principles of Christianity, that the, the percent of adults in America fell down to 14% of adults in America are, are considered emergent followers of Christianity. And that's down from 25% before the COVID pandemic. What Barna says, and he's looked at a lot of church information over the years, is that um, what, when you put this data in perspective, quote, the biblical worldview is shuffling toward the edge of a cliff. Biblical theism is much closer to extinction in America than it is influencing the soul of the nation. And so if we have a faith that is able to be tested under question, and if we have a younger generation who is not just drinking the Kool-Aid from what they were told from their parents, 
then why is it that more people aren't exploring the Christian faith? Why is it the Holy Spirit is not convicting more people in America to come to faith? And there's probably a lot of reasons, and many are just because God has a plan and the Holy Spirit is doing a certain work. And I'll submit to you is that I think a big problem is that people dismiss the Christian belief too quickly. That when it comes down to it, they're too quick to bail because something about it feels off, it feels weird, it feels difficult to understand for them. I'll give you um, an example. I once knew this college freshman, um, and this college freshman was one of the um, 86% in that study. One of the ones that was not an emergent follower of Jesus. This college freshman, he was, um, at that point in his life, he was, he was heading on the road to hell with the way that he was believing. He was following the broad road of whatever everybody else was saying and getting ready to go into a life of destruction. And that person is named Joe Seastat, <laughs> me, age 18. I remember my first week, college campus, uh, and the cool, it, it was amazing. Like your first week on college campus, there's so many things that you can get involved in. And the way that they did it, and they still do it, is that where I was at, they put a bunch of sidewalk chalk down, and they would invite you to all types of events. And often you would see sidewalk chalk and right on the other side of that sidewalk chalk would be like an, a small army of other college kids that'd be sitting with an invite card saying, come to this thing, I'd love to see you there. So I was walking my first week of class and uh, I saw sidewalk chalk and there was a few people and they were handing me an invite card and I went up there and I was curious to know what it was all about. And they were inviting me to come to a fun event. They had smiles on their face uh, and I asked what that event was all about, and they said it's, um, it's Crew, which is Campus Crusade for Christ. And as soon as I asked a question, like, what's that all about? They're like, it's a Christian organization on this campus. Something happened in me when they said the word Christian. I automatically got cautious. I automatically got weirded out. I took the invite card and I was out of there as fast as I possibly could. And the next time I saw sidewalk chalk with people handing me something, I was avoiding it at all costs. I was staying at least 30 feet around because I was very weirded out about the invite. Why is that? Well, it's because I had thinking errors. There, there were things that were going on in my mind at that time. I was, I was raised in a house to honor Jesus, but um, because of my circumstances, probably the community I lived in, the sports I played, the school I went to, kind of life, I thought it was very odd, very weird to be one of those Jesus people. And I was ingrained in me, not from my mom or anything like that, just in my culture to steer clear of those things because of serious thinking errors that I had. And so today, as we get into Acts chapter 24, we're going to look at how to correct thinking errors about your faith. And then more importantly, because most people in this room are Christians, is how do you understand this concept of thinking errors so that when you relate to other people who aren't Christians, 
who are like me when I was 18 years old, you'll know how to talk with them. We're going to look at a few lessons from this guy, Governor Felix, and how he dealt with the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 24, 1 through 21. It's a little bit of a long stretch. And the purpose of me reading it is to give you the backdrop of what's happening. And then after I read it, I'm going to get into a few lessons that we see that happens next in this narrative between Paul and Governor Felix. Verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when they had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude." But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him, to him for him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection, both of the just and the unjust." So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing, that I cried out while I was standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. In summary, Paul's like, oh, come on. (laughs) You see what these guys are doing? They're making up all types of false charges. I'm innocent and there's no reason for them to look at me at all. You see, Governor Felix, exactly what these guys are doing. Come on. That's basically my summary of those 21 (laughs) verses. And so with that as the backdrop, I want to lead you now into thinking errors that Governor Felix had, the one who's uh, jurisdicting over this, uh, you know, scene between Paul and the Jews. And and I want to see if you can relate to the way I was thinking at age 18 or the way that maybe your neighbors are thinking right now, or maybe even you are thinking. Here's the first lesson. Felix stopped investigating 
because he was gun shy. And before I go too much further, you know, that word gun shy, it's like an older uh, root word back from the 1800s. It, it has to do with a dog, a hunting dog, when the owner shoots off a gun and they, they realize that there's a pattern that's going to happen and they get a little timid about the next time doing it. We've turned that in American speak into like a, a to mean when you're reluctant to want to see something happen or when you know enough that you don't want to know more. That's, that's the term gun shy. So Felix stopped investigating because he was gun shy. Verse 22, let's take a look at what it says. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So Felix, the governor of Judea, he does like the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> he stalls. He, his method is that I don't want to investigate anymore because I'm gun shy. So I'm going to basically put a big pin in it and we're going to pick this thing up at some later date to be determined. And by the way, we're not setting the next court hearing date quite yet. And his, his excuse was, I need to hear more from this Claudius Lysias guy, the commander that we heard the last couple of weeks. But he had all the information that he needed. He already had a letter from Claudius. He had the accusers and the accused in the same room. And he could have continued that, that court hearing or that informal hearing to understand more if he wanted to. So why did he stall? Why was Felix gun shy? Well, it's because once you hear something that is true, you become accountable to having knowledge of that truth. You guys with me? Like, once you know that something is actually true, you've got to kind of do something with that information. And the same goes for Christianity. You know, once you get a weft of Jesus, you can't just pretend you didn't didn't experience that. You've got to do something with that awareness and that knowledge. And, and oftentimes what people do, maybe your neighbors are doing this, is that when you go down that road and the name of Jesus gets mentioned, people get a little gun shy because they, they might wonder, well, if I, if I listen too much more, now I've got to actually do something with the information that you're giving to me. So for Felix, if he were to listen more, he may find out that this person, Paul, is actually innocent. He may find out that Christianity has a lot of merit and he would have to actually do something about it. But he wanted to do the Jewish people a favor and not let this hearing go on any longer. He would have been accountable if he listened longer. You know, I believe that God has a wonderful sense of humor. I think it's one of his uh, attributes that you don't t tend to see in uh, theological textbooks, but I think that God uh, knows how to, how to have a good laugh sometimes with those that he's carrying along uh, as we're carrying along this journey of life. The way I know that, I've, I've experienced that from time to time. And when I, that day on college campus, that first week said no and just started to 
kind of do the big circular C every time I came to another invite to anything because I was not wanting to be around any Christian people, um, God allowed me to have very close experience with a Christian person in my life my freshman year. Uh, his na- he was a baseball player on my baseball team. And I won't tell you, I won't tell you his real name because we, he went by his nickname. His nickname was High Pockets. And the reason why his nickname was High Pockets is because he was, had really long legs. And so this guy, he could like run really well. He could hit really well. And we were playing college baseball together. And um, I was his roommate on the road trips. Now, he was the only Christian that I had as a friend at the time. And he was like one of those obvious ones. I mean, he's the guy that on the bus trips, he, he brought his Bible and he was reading his Bible in the seat. He's the guy that um, instead of uh, listening to like actual heavy metal music, he was listening to Christian heavy metal music. <laughs> he was the guy that, um, uh, you know, he, he would talk about Jesus in a way that you know that he believed it, but you didn't really want him to keep saying that word anymore. That was high pockets to me. And um, I remember that as I started to get to know him, as we'd room together on the road trips, we might be you know, at a different university for a weekend or things like that. And he'd have his Bible out and things like that. I'd ask him um, maybe like a general question and then he'd kind of steer it toward a little bit of Jesus. And then I'd like steer it back because I was gun shy. I, I didn't want to hear any more information. It wasn't that I didn't like him. Uh, it wasn't that I had anything against him. And the reality was that I had no judgment against him. I just had caution that I would not become him. I didn't want to look like him. He, to me, was going a whole different route than everybody else. I was going a certain direction that felt right. I didn't, it it was weird for me. He didn't go to parties. He didn't date. He didn't drink. None of those things. And his life just looked really different. So Felix had that same thing. He was, he was gun shy and stopped investigating. So I, I think a big question right here is um, living in a community where we've got a lot of people in our lives who are probably gun shy to talk about Jesus. What, if anything, do you do then if you want to be an obedient follower of Jesus who is diligent to make disciples? Like, how do you even interact in that scenario? You know, um, there's a saying, uh, earn the right to be heard. And and I actually follow that. And there's great examples in this church of people who have come up here with testimonies of like building relationships that are strong enough to bear the weight of the gospel message. And and right now, Renee and I, we've had a really fruitful summer with some of our neighbors directly across the street. Um, another one directly across the street, like both of them, and then directly next door, new neighbors moved in. And um, what we're looking to do with them and what we are doing is we are building relationships with them that are not riding on the reality of them becoming Christians or not. Are, are you guys with me on this? Like, like, even if they never become a follower of Jesus, we want to be their friends and we want them to be our friends. 
So does that mean that we never talk about Christ? No, we actually do from time to time. But we want our neighbor relationships to be strong enough that they can count on us as human beings. And then we will bring Christ into the discussion because I realized the phenomenon of what I was feeling at age 18 or age 40 or age 50 or whatever it might be. That if you, if you haven't tasted and seen and experienced the love of Christ, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you view the world and you view Christians often a very different way than how we as the holy huddle view ourselves. And, and so how does that translate for you then? You know, if God's called you to go make disciples, which is, of course, to see people who are believers grow in their faith, and it's also seeing new believers come, or unbelievers become believers, if we're so, supposed to play in that, then what, what does it look like for you in your context, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, in your work? What does it look like for you to earn the right to be heard? to get into deep relationships with other people who don't have the same beliefs as you so that when you do have that opportunity to share, it's not coming out of left field. I'll submit that I think that's a good way to have people consider investigating when they might be a little bit gun shy. That was Felix's first thinking error. The second one I see here is that Felix stopped reasoning because he was guilty. Verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Now, there's a backstory here that's important to really understand, and it has to do with this uh, person, Drusilla. What you need to realize is that um, Drusilla was the daughter of King Herod Agrippa I. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, that's okay. We covered him back in Acts chapter 12. King Herod Agrippa was the one who was in charge uh, about... Um, uh, six, seven, eight years ago uh, in Judea, and he was the one that had James, the apostle, killed. And he's the same one that had um, plans to kill Peter. And if you remember back in Acts 12, uh, the angel of the Lord like brought Peter miraculously out of the prison cell. King Herod Agrippa, Drusilla's own father, was one of the biggest haters on Christians that there were at the time. And yet she is now here in this story looking at the Apostle Paul. Now there's another backstory, and it has to do with Felix and how he became the husband of Drusilla. Because Drusilla actually got married at a very young age, and it went something like this. Felix came on the scene, scene stole her away from her husband, and then married her. 
So when you're talking about Felix, you're talking about a dude that had like sins like a whole tablet of Moses. You know, we're talking about like adultery, uh, theft, coveting. Um, what else we got here? Lying. Uh, he's got all these things going on. So then Paul would have known about the scenario at hand. This is like common knowledge. When James got imprisoned by King Herod, the first, uh, King Herod Agrippa I, uh, Paul was a believer by that point. When Drusilla got married to Felix, Paul was a believer at that point. He, he knew this backstory. And so what does Paul do? Well, Paul uses his shots with Governor Felix to start ta- reasoning with him about the faith. And he brings up a few really dicey topics about the faith. He brings up the topics of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. <laughs> That's like strike one, strike two, strike three. You're out of here, buddy, for Governor Felix. I mean, this is like coming right at the heart. And he's having to like take this in. And so what does Felix do? Felix does the same exact thing that I used to do and that your neighbors and your friends are probably doing when you talk about truths that they have to consider. Felix, it says, was alarmed. And a better translation for that is frightened. This guy was scared to death. When we're talking about like the coming judgment, we're talking about righteousness and self-control. He like had none of those uh, desires to go there because he was guilty in his sin. And when he was guilty, what he did in his position of power is he said, you know what, we're gonna stop this conversation. Uh, Let's go ahead and just call it quits for now. Paul, I'll come find you, don't find me. And I'll tell you, you know, when my friend High Pockets was living his life the way that he did, and he was talking about a topic related to Jesus or Christianity or the Bible as we are all like traveling on a bus together, I did not want to reason at all with him. I didn't want to go any further with him. And it had nothing to do with whether I thought I could hang in like an intellectual conversation or anything like that, it had everything to do with the reality that if we went further down this road, I was watching his life. This guy was like not giving in to a bunch of obvious sins that I knew I was doing. If I went too far reasoning with him about things like righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, I would start to get a little freaked out because I would feel guilty in my sins. So I wonder what we do with that as a church, knowing that out there or maybe in here, people are feeling the guilt of their sins. Or maybe what's worse is they're not feeling the guilt of their sins. They're doing whatever they want. I was leading, I was was on the broad road, it says in the Bible, leading to destruction that many will find. I was not on the narrow road leading to life that very few will find at that time. How do we then interact with people that we know are going on the broad road leading to destruction. Well, I think that Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is a really key uh, pillar for us as the church to go to often and early when we're talking with people about such things. 
Romans 8.1, it says, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is like an amazing truth. And don't get me wrong. I think there's an equal problem that many people just want to sweep over sin like it's no big deal. So having a person understand that there is a weight to their sin, that they are, uh, they are actually responsible for, for their choices and the things that they've done that is, have displeased God, that the people that understand that weight, if they don't understand the weight, then there's no desire for a solution. But sometimes we either don't go there at all, which I think is probably most common, or if we go there, or even just our presence, like when I was watching High Pockets, how he lived his life, and at some points I would sort of like compare my life to his life, and if he's like a Christian and and whatever I am, like I'm not living my life like that. I felt a little bit of shame and some guilt. Well, we as the church, we can come with the message of hope that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the hope that we have to offer. And we can come alongside people and, and share that for those in Christ Jesus. And what that means is that you have chosen Jesus as your Lord, that he is most supreme in your life and you will follow him. You're in Christ. For those in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, how can we be Christians that bring that message of hope to our friends? Because oftentimes, you guys, people stop reasoning because it gets painful for them. And I wonder here for Governor Felix, if it just started to hit a little too close to home, as Paul, Paul was clearly calling out some stuff that was wrong in his life, and it just got a little too painful for him. He was guilty in his sin, and he stopped reasoning. So Felix shows us a couple of thinking errors. He stopped investigating because he was gun shy. He stops reasoning because he's guilty. And, and, and here's one more. Felix stopped advocating because he was greedy. Verse 26, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. In desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left, left Paul in prison. So Felix would, you know... Aside from Jesus Christ, there is really no other better person to learn from than the Apostle Paul. I mean, you got to go there at least. Like to, to have had two years where you could like interact with this guy and ask any question that you wanted to. I mean, if, if the Christian faith is that true, we ought to be able to ask a bunch of questions. If you want to ask any questions, he could just come, he could start peppering Paul. Like he could have spent every day, uh, 365 days a year for two years, talking to Paul about every question he possibly had. And to some extent, I think Governor Felix did that. It said that he often conversed with him. But talk about a missed opportunity. He had the Apostle Paul in his presence. And at some point, he just decided that instead of going after things that are 
um, truth having to do with eternity, he was more interested, Governor Felix, in going after short-term material gain. And that came in the form of, he wanted to get paid off by Paul. <laughs> now, I don't know how much money Paul had at this point. It seemed kind of weird that you're locked up in prison. Somebody's asking you for money. Like, I don't go to a prison when I'm doing prison ministry and ask an inmate uh, if they have any money, because they don't. <laughs> you know, but it seems weird. I don't exactly understand all that. But he was asking Paul for money. And then it says at the end that desiring to do the Jews a favor, he kept Paul in prison for that time being. And to, he left his office after two years and then, and then he left Paul there. He could have released Paul from prison, but he left him there. Why? And the reason is because Governor Felix in the whole Roman Empire, he had a position of status and part of your position of status is that you have a good reputation with people that you're serving. Many of the people that Governor Felix was responsible for were Jewish people. And Jewish people, because uh, they, were, um, they were in many ways disrespected, but in some ways because they were so large in number and organized, they were respected, their voice mattered, and they could have caused a lot of chaos for Governor Felix in his reputation as an aspiring Roman official. So because he wanted to do the Jews a favor, instead of advocating for Paul, he left him in there because he was greedy. He was greedy for his own personal gain. Because it looks really strange, I think we'd admit, when a Christian decides to do something against materialism because it's right to do with God, right? And especially when you're 18 and 19 years old. You know, when I was on that baseball team, uh, rooming with high pockets, his freshman year, he was a starter uh, on the baseball team. He was big, strong, fast. The next year, his sophomore year, he came back, he was bigger he, he was stronger and badder than ever. I mean, this guy was like tearing the cover off the ball. He was like an all-star. He was like an all-league. He was really good as a, as a sophomore. And the strangest thing happened. <laughs> he got a girlfriend. And he would talk about the girlfriend in a way um, that no other people on the team talked about girls, I'm ashamed to admit. Like he was very honorable toward her. And um, then we were halfway through the season and, and he's hitting home runs. He's tearing the cover off the ball. He did the most peculiar thing I've ever seen anybody do in my life. Right as we're getting ready to get on a bus trip to go play an opponent, he comes to the bus and turns in his uniform and says, I quit. And his reason was he wanted to go marry this girl because he was feeling called by God to do it. Here's a guy that ran his life so different, so obviously different than anybody else, that instead of capitalizing on the material gains that he could have had to go up and up and up in his profession, he chose a path that I hadn't seen anybody do before, which was to have a Christian marriage to a girl that he said he was called by God to marry. And it looked strange to do that. You know, it looks weird when we as Christians to the world, it looks weird when we as Christians choose to do the right thing in God's eyes 
even though the world is saying, wow, what are you doing? I can't believe you're doing that. Many of you have personal testimonies that are along those lines. You have chosen paths in life that your friends that aren't believers are saying, why in the world would you do such a thing? Well, it's because we as Christians desire to do the things that God would have us do and not to just do material gains. So is your life looking like that? Does your life stand out like high pockets as did to mine? where it looked weird, um, and he planted seeds back there, back then, that God used to water and bring to life later on in my life. Are you having that impact in people that you are around? There are people all over the place in our community who are giving in to thinking errors. And the bottom line as the band comes back up is that Felix's error in judgment cost him a relationship with God. You know, we don't know uh, if Felix came to faith at some point after what's written in the Bible. It's possible. Maybe at some point down the road, later in life perhaps, he might have become a believer in Christ and all that time with Paul really paid off. But at this point, Felix was heading on the road to hell just like I was at age 18. His thinking errors cost him a relationship with God. And so I wonder if there's a person in this room who's been dealing with a thinking error as it comes to Jesus all this time. And look, if that's you, I know what that's like. I was a generally hardworking, generally good person who was just going with the flow with the rest of the culture. I didn't really know any better. Maybe there's somebody in this room that's that same way today and that you've had a thinking error as it pertains to Jesus. And what I want to share with you is that if that's you, Jesus gets you. He understands you. Not just me as a sinful 18-year-old understands you, Far more important than that, Jesus gets you. He understands the temptation. He understands your thinking errors. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus is making an invite to you today. If you have never trusted in Jesus, if you have never received his grace and his mercy, he's offering that to you right now. And he can sympathize with you. He knows where your mind has been. He knows the experiences that you have endured. So maybe today for you, it's time to realize that Jesus lived the perfect life that we can't, we haven't. And that Jesus died obediently on the cross to offer forgiveness for your sins. And Jesus rose to life showing that he defeated the grave and that he brought victory to us and to this world that he came to redeem So if you want to go there today and trust in that truth, in a moment, I'll offer a time for you to respond to that where you can just silently pray in your seat to the Lord to ask Jesus to become the Lord of your life. 
for the rest of us, um, there's a few application points here. One, is there, what is an error in your judgment that needs correcting? Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we've got it all figured out. There might be something that you're wrestling with in the faith. There might be a, a thinking error that when you read scripture or you see another person's walk and you're talking about things, like it doesn't register with how you're thinking about life. Is there a thinking error that needs correcting in your life? Secondly, is there, um, how will you engage with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers who are experiencing thinking errors? How can you show up differently in their life? And then third, I wonder if somebody here today is like High Pockets was in my life way back when. I mean, what he said and how he showed me, it kind of went in one ear and went out the other. But you know what? God resurrected that many years later when I came to faith. I still remember this guy. He hit a lot of home runs. <laughs> he stole a lot of bases. He threw a lot of guys out. But what I remember most is his conviction about Jesus. How are you showing up? Is your life looking different than the rest of the world? Is your life noticeable that you're a believer in Christ? Would you bow your heads for prayer? Hey, maybe there's somebody on your heart right now um, that you've been wanting to pursue as it pertains to Jesus and showing them that there's hope in Christ. And you've just, you've kind of hit, you've hit dead end after dead end. Maybe it's that they're gun shy. Maybe it's that they, they feel guilty around you, or maybe it's that they, um, they're greedy or they're materialistic, whatever it is, you're kind of like at an impasse, meaning you don't even know what to do next. I'm with you. If, you, if there's somebody with that scenario, I'm with you too. I've got those people in my life also. And so if today you are searching for direction from God on what to do to reach that person, would you raise your hand? See you guys. Me too. When we talk about, when I talked about um, high pockets and you talk about the apostle Paul and how, must, how he must have showed up to Felix, these guys look different and when you think about your life, maybe there's a understanding that you've been going too much with the flow of this culture and you're not looking different enough that you've just kind of taken, you believe in Jesus, but you've sort of taken the broad path because it's easier and that's the current of our culture. And today you're like, no, I've, I want to come back to the reset button. I want to hit reset and get back to being a Christian in the way that I show up to others, the things I say, what I do, what I stand for. If that's you, raise your hand. I see you guys. Amen. Finally, the reality that Jesus gets you is a twofold reality. One, he understands you. He gets you that way. The other is that for those who turn their life to him, he gets you. He, he redeemed you on the cross. He bought you with the precious price of his blood. And so today, if 
you're coming to that reality for the first time and that you want to accept that reality, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, would you raise your hand? If that's you, I don't want to do anything other than pray with you right now. Just let me know by raising your hand and we'll pray together. I'm praying that today was, it was helpful for you in your journey with the Lord, that you are feeling hope walking out of here today, realizing that God has you here for a purpose. Uh, and I'm not just saying at Oak Point, West Bloomfield, I'm saying in life, like the moment that you are in right now matters and God's got you. He sees you and he's with you on this journey. And I pray that I'll give you great hope this week as we go about this, uh, this journey of life. Um, just a couple of quick announcements, important ones though. The first one is life groups are starting back up September the 10th week. So I want to, I want to just like really talk clearly about life groups for a moment here with each of you. You guys can just have a quick seat. Um, being a smaller startup church three years in, uh, we carefully check in with the Lord through prayer uh, on the things that we want to do really, really faithfully and well as a church. Out of everything that we do, whether it be a Sunday morning service, uh, whether it be the beautiful worship music, uh, whether it be the setup and tear down and the hospitality, um, the fabric of, of our church really uh, rises and falls on life groups. And I want to explain why, because maybe you have sort of a thought about small groups and things like that um, from different church experiences. We see life groups being the main road for discipleship in this church. And we see life groups as the main road for being connected to one another in this church. Sunday services, awesome. Like we can come together, we can worship together. And that is always critical to do. And then we should hang out and see each other afterwards. If you're not in a life group, I will tell you from personal experience, because I am part of one, I don't lead one. You're missing out on what this church has to offer for you on your journey with the Lord and journey with connecting to others. So my hope is that if you come to this church on a regular basis, I want to challenge you to get in a life group. All right, I know it's probably scary for some and you might be thinking like, I don't have time or whatever it is. I, I see you and I get you. Like I, I've thought that way before too. And I stand behind this. If you jump into a life group this fall, I promise you that you'll benefit from that life group. That you will grow closer to the Lord. And you'll grow closer to the others in this church. So take me up on that challenge. Hey, if somebody proves me wrong, come up here and tell me. But I just want to encourage you, get into a life group. So there's a banner right back there. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group starting uh, the following week after this one, if you're not in a life group, go back to that banner. We will get you into the right one. They're different days of the week. They're different times of the day. We can find one to, to hit your schedule, okay? Get in a life group. Uh, the second thing is we have... Um, this is not really like a church-sponsored thing. This is more like a Kristen Williams-sponsored thing. Kristen, raise your hand. Uh, because I don't know that we have the insurance rider to cover this as a church. Um, but it has to do with the road rally, all right? So there's a road rally that I'm announcing on behalf of Kristen uh, that I will partake in as a friend of Kristen's, not necessarily as an endorsed program of Oak Point Church West Bloomfield. I will be at the road rally next, <laughs> next Saturday at 3 p.m., 
I'd encourage you guys to get to that too. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We're looking for five or six people per team. There are sheets that we can still get you signed up for, 10 bucks, which includes dinner. And it's a fun chance to do like, it's a scavenger hunt for adults. So um, come find Kristen, go to that table back there and we'll get you signed up for the road rally. Uh, today is like the last day to sign up because it's next Saturday. Uh, with that, have an awesome week of worship. See you guys next week.